sin fractured everything. And it left us shattered and broken. But no matter how distant or silent God may seem, He's still faithfully using broken people. To accomplish His flawless plans, If you got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on on your device, follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. Esther chapter 5 is where we're going to start today. Uh, we're going to read a lot of verses in the book of Esther. As a matter of fact, we're reading most of 5, 6, and 7 today. So we're reading a whole lot, but 5 is where we're going to start. This is week number 2 of our series called Shattered, which is a kind of a an overview walkthrough of the book of Esther, where we're going to be talking about fractured people who serve a flawless God. Um, today's message, let me, let me kind of, let me kind of set this up like this. Um, one of the things, one of the things I like to do is, is talk about what we have in common, right? The world likes to celebrate our differences. Um, but when we come to church, we should talk about what we have in common. And one of the things I think that all of us have in common is that nobody, nobody, no, now you might be the exception. We don't want to know it. Um, but nobody likes to wait for anything. Amen? Nobody, right? Like, like I've never met a person and I've asked, hey, what do you like to do for fun? And I've never had somebody come back and say, wait. I just, I just love to wait. I love to go to the craziest traffic place in town and just get stuck in traffic. I just love it. I love to go to the grocery store and pick the longest line and then let people go in front of me because I just love to wait. Waiting is the very best thing in the whole world. Nobody says that, right? Now, again, you might be the exception. Don't let us know because we'll make fun of you. But nobody, nobody likes to wait. And, and if I'm going to put my cards on the table, I'm going to tell you, I, I hate to wait. Now, now, I know you can't envision that in me because when you see me, you see perfection, right? And you look and doves are flying all around me and all of that. Um, but I hate to wait. And if I could be incredibly honest, one of the things I hate to wait on, and if you're honest, you'll say this same thing. One of the things I really, really, really hate to wait on is I hate waiting on God. Now, I know I'm a pastor and I'm not supposed to say that, but I do. I hate waiting on God. And we're really good at telling people, aren't, aren't, we, tell, aren't we good at telling other people like, hey, God's working in your life, brother. You just need to wait. You just need to be still and know he's God, sister. You just need to, you just need to wait. Just wait and you'll see because all things work together for his good. Just wait. We're really good at telling other people that. At least I am. But, but when it comes to my life, I want God now, right? God, I want you to move now. God, I want you to fix this now. God, I need you to handle this situation now. God, if you would move in and you would do this and you would honor my request, like that would be great. It would be really awesome, God, if you just moved right now because I don't want to wait, God. I want you to come. I want you to do things. I want this to happen now. I love for God to work immediately. But what I've learned over the course of my life, and maybe you've learned this too, is that in between, in between a mess and a miracle is often a waiting period. You ever notice that? 
And between a mess and a miracle is often a waiting period. We don't get to determine the waiting period. Sometimes, sometimes the waiting period is way longer than we wish it actually was. It goes back to what we talked about last week with the puzzle. Last week we had a bunch of puzzles up here. This week um, we have a different puzzle. Um, but we said this is what we want our life to look like, right? This is what we all want. We want the picture-perfect life. We like for everything to be put together. We like for, for everything to just be, when people look at it, they're like, oh, that is so nice. So you look at this and there's flowers and there's buildings and trees. There's a bridge. There's people, couples walking hand in hand across the bridge. And there's people down in the boat and there's people over here in the picnic and there, and, and there's ducks. Who, who doesn't love ducks? I mean, it's awesome, right? Like, like this is great. And we said, this is what we want. All of us want the picture perfect life where everything is together. Everything is nice and neat. But what happens is sooner or later, something happens or a series of somethings happens in our life. And our life goes from this to this. It just falls apart. Like we feel like our life is in pieces. Now, let's just say, let's just say for example, right? Let, let's say for example that, that you saw me out somewhere this past week at somewhere like say, I don't know, Bordeneros. Just one of the places, probably like the only place I go. But let's say you saw me and you wanted to talk about the puzzles. And you said, hey Ryan, I got a question for you. That 3,000 piece puzzle last week you had on stage, hey, did you put that together? And what if I told you, um, I tried, like I I really did try. And you're like, really? Yeah, I tried, like I gave it my best shot. And you're like, did you succeed? No, man, I wasn't quite, I just really couldn't quite pull it off. It's a little bit outside of my skill set. And you said, how long did you try? And I looked at you and I said, I gave it 10 minutes. I tried. For 10 minutes. But listen, I was focused for 10 minutes. For 10 minutes, that puzzle had all of my attention. I really, 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 really tried for 10 minutes. Nobody in their right mind would walk away going, you know what? Pastor Ryan really did give that his best shot. You would know I didn't. And matter of fact, this is what I did for puzzles last week. I Googled how long does it take to put together a 3,000 piece puzzle. And the answer was, depending on your skill set, And I already knew I was out at that point because my skill set is like way down here probably. Depending on your skill set, 20 to 30 hours. Hours with a Z. Like 20 to 30 hours. Like who wants to spend 20 to 30 hours putting together a puzzle? Not a lot of hands. Like none, right? Nobody wants that. Here's the point. Like we talked about last week. This, this is a mess, right? But this, this is a miracle, Right to to get this back to this is a miracle, and, and we don't know how long it takes. We don't really know how long it takes to to put this into this, and we could speculate and, and we could say all kinds of different things. But but here here's the main point: if we're looking at this as an analogy of life, and this is what we want, but this is what we have, it's going to take time to put this back together. And God, in His way and in His timing. We'll take our pieces, piece by piece, and he'll begin to put them back together when we realize that he is in control and we aren't. We see this all through the story 
of Esther. Let me do a really quick review of what we talked about last week in the message. We'll start out with talking about the characters that we covered last week. The first two are Esther and Mordecai. Um, Esther is, that's who it's all about. Mordecai is her older cousin. Um, somewhere along the line, Esther's parents died and Mordecai kind of took her in. He was, he was kind of like a father figure to her. They were in Jerusalem. Babylon came in, captured them, took them away to another place. They got relocated. Talk about somebody who felt like God had forgotten about them, who, whose life had fallen in pieces, it was Esther and Mordecai. And there are probably people here right now, probably people watching online, probably people who will be here later this morning. I'm absolutely certain that you have felt like at some point, or maybe you currently feel like God has given up on you. And if that's you, these two characters are your two characters because they know exactly how that feels. They got transplanted into a foreign land, had to new, learn a new language, had to adapt to a new culture. Everything for them, everything was in pieces. Every part of their life was in pieces. The next person we talked about was King Xerxes. Remember, he threw a 180-day party, and everybody got crazy, spoke cursive. Remember that? And at the end of the story, or at the end of the party, he decided to have his wife, Queen Queen Vasti, come in wearing just the crown. That's it. Like, just the crown and the smile. That is it. Completely naked. And she's like, I, I'm not doing that. And so she walked out. He actually banished her. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to have a contest to see who's going to become the next queen. And so basically, he had a bunch of women brought in from all over the kingdom. And he had sex with one each and every night. And Esther kind of won the contest. And she became queen. It's a sad way to win, but she becomes queen. The last guy we talked about was Haman. Haman is the bad guy in the story. He's a bad dude. And Haman could not stand Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow down to him. Now, Haman was kind of like the, like the vice president. Um, he was like second in charge of the entire kingdom. And so Haman, when he would walk by, everybody would bow down and tremble before him. Everyone, except for Mordecai. And Haman didn't like the fact that Mordecai would not bow down before him. Now, what we saw last week was Haman wanted to kill Mordecai. And so he developed this plan. He said, I don't know that the king will let me just kill one person. And so instead of just killing Mordecai, I'm going to kill all of the Jewish people because Mordecai is Jewish. And so if I just go in and say, king, we need to kill the Jews, he's going to say, cool. And then Mordecai is going to be involved in that and I get to kill him. The problem was Esther was also Jewish. However, Esther had not told the queen, the king that she was Jewish because Mordecai had said, we're going to keep your nationality a secret. Once again, it's a very quick review. So Haman goes to the king and he says, hey, king, there's this group of people. They're a nuisance. They're causing all kinds of problems. Eventually, they're going to overthrow us. We need to kill these people. And so here's this, here's this decree. I need you to sign this. There's going to be a law. You're going to sign this law into effect. And, and the king trusted Haman so much, he didn't even ask any questions. He's just like, yeah, okay, I'll sign it. And then the law of the Medes and the Persians was put into place. We saw last week that once a written decree happened, once a law was put into place, the law could not be what? Anybody remember? Could not be changed, could not be revoked, which by the way is huge, 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 huge for next week. But the law could not be revoked. And so Mordecai finds out that all the Jewish people are going to get killed and he, and he starts to freak out. But then he pauses and he goes, wait a minute, Esther's the queen. 
like my girl Esther. Let's not talk about how she became queen, because that's, that's a mess, but, but she's there. And so Esther could go talk to the king and say, hey, king, you need to let the Jews live. So he tells Esther, hey, girl, you need to step in, you need to step up, you, you, need, to, you need to go, and you need to talk to the king. And Esther tells Mordecai, you can't just go to the king. Like, nobody can just walk in and talk to the king. You, you just can't do that. And she said, I haven't been summoned to the king in 30 days. In other words, she said, I was good. Like, I was good enough for him, but I guess he found something better. I'm not sure what's going on in there. Kind of weird in the palace. So I can't go before the king, because if I go before the king, and he didn't summon you, and he doesn't put forth the gold scepter, he's going to kill you. And Mordecai told Esther, he said, well, listen, you know, here's the deal. If you don't step up in faith, um, if you don't do something, salvation for the Jews is going to come in some way. Like God is going to protect his people. However, Esther, you and your family, you're not going to make it. You're just not. They're going to find out you tricked them and you're in there and you shouldn't be in there. And so they're going to kill you. And then he said this, but maybe, maybe, maybe Esther, the reason you've gone through all of this hell, the reason everything is in pieces, maybe the reason this has happened is for such a time as this. Maybe the reason for all the hurt, and he acknowledges her hurt, and we said last week that God never wastes anybody's pain. Maybe all of this hurt, maybe all of this pain, all this confusion, maybe the reason you went through all of it was to set you up for such a time as this. Maybe, 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 Esther, this is the beginning of God putting the pieces back together. And she said, all right, here's what we're gonna do. You go get your people and, and you have them fast. And I'm going to get all my girls together and we're going to fast for three days. And after three days, I'll go before the king. And then and we said at the end of last week, she said, after she said all that, she said, and if I die, I die. In other words, I'm going to step into this next season full of fear, not full of fear. I'm going to step into this next season full of faith. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm often praying that my faith will be greater than my fear. So that's where we're going to pick up this story in Esther chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. Now, just a real quick question. You think she was scared? Absolutely she was scared. This is her life on the line. Listen, we, we look at the Bible and we, we think the Bible is full of really good, awesome, morally superior people. But the Bible is full of messed up, jacked up people that God uses anyway. That's what the Bible is full of. Because let's not forget, Esther, who... Esther wouldn't even qualify to volunteer at most of our churches across the world. And she has a book of the Bible named after her. She's a sex slave. That God used to set people free. That, that's a little bit disturbing. And so when she walked in there, do you think she had some sweat on her forehead, yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. You think she was shaking a little bit? Yeah. But you know what? She said, I'm going to choose faith over fear. And, and let, me, let me help everybody here today to understand this. That's a choice. That is 100% a choice. Anybody can tell you, oh, do not fear when, when they're not in your circumstances. But it's choosing faith over fear. That, that's very intentional. And so Esther walks in choosing faith over fear. And this is an intense situation. When he saw, verse 2, when he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. And she's like, shoo. Sweet. So Esther approached and touched the end of the specter. Then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Now hold up. 
Because <laughs> right here, maybe you think the way I think. I would have been, if I was Esther, I would have been like, all right, sweet. Give me half and I'm out. Right? Like, I mean, all that she has gone through, all that has happened, like, this is her prenup or whatever, man. I don't know. Just give me half. But this is like a metaphor. This is the king saying, I'm in a good mood. And so I'll give you whatever you want. Now, here's what's crazy. Here's a spot where you can see God putting the pieces back together. I told you last week that the book of Esther is the only book in the entire Bible where the name of God is not mentioned one single time. But you can see the hand of God throughout the entire story. And you can see him putting these pieces into place. Because the king, we can all say that King Xerxes was not a godly man, but he was under God's control. See, God is in control. Even when things seem out of control, God is in control because he is sovereign. He rules and reigns supreme. He has no equal. Like there is no one greater. There is no one higher than him. God is in control. And we see God moving through this entire situation. Esther does something though that's really on the surface. It's really strange because if I'm Esther, I'm going off on Haman. Like I'm letting the king know everything. I'm going off on this law. I'm screaming. I'm throwing a fit. But but let me say this. Esther, in this moment, I think this is key. She didn't play the victim. I say this all the time, but I'll say it again. Victims never walk in victory, ever. Victims never walk in victory. If you want to be a victim, you can be a victim and you can have people feel sorry for you, but you will never know what it's like to step out of the tomb because being a victim is simply a graveyard that you choose to stay in. Victims never walk in victory. Listen, I'm not saying that something bad didn't happen. I'm just saying you get to choose whether you want to live in victimhood or victory. Amen? Verse four, Esther replied, if it pleases the king... Let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I've prepared. This, that's huge. That's huge. Remember that. I'll talk about that in a second. A banquet I've prepared for the king. The king turned to his attendant and said, tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet as Esther requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. Now, a couple things to note here. Number one, she already prepared the banquet. I think that's super cool. Like, like, yeah, she, she's fearful for her life. She could step into this thing. She could be killed. But she has so much confidence in God and in God protecting her that she already prepared the banquet. She goes in, hey, it's already ready. Let's go. I, I think it's important for us to see that and to know that. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. And while they were drinking wine, by the way, alcohol is a true serum. Did, did you know that? And I heard that from somebody, heard it from a friend. They told me, I don't know. it. Anyway, while they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, now tell me, tell me what you really want. What you really, really want. I tried to get past it. I did. I did. Man, I did this on Friday and I didn't do it. And then this first service, it just hit me. Just tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Just tell me what you want. I really, really, really want a Ziggy Ziggy. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I am. I like tried really hard to not do that. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Esther replied, this is my request and my deepest wish. And this is where you're like, this is where she goes for it, right? This is where she's going to tell, hey, Haman is jacked up. But watch what she does. If I have found favor with the king 
And if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. In other words, she's like, I'll tell you tomorrow. It's not right now. Now, if you're watching this story, I remember the first time reading this, being so confused, going, Esther, girl, what's going on? You're in the presence of the king right now, right here. You, the king, and Haman, that's it. You can tell on Haman. Just rat him out right here. But Esther uses something here, and this is something I pray for every single day for me. I pray for this. At some point throughout every day, I have to pause and I have to pray this for me. There's not, I don't think, a single day that goes by that I don't ask God for wisdom. That's one of the things I have to constantly stop and do is ask God to give me wisdom in a situation. Because think about this. She hadn't seen the king in 30 days. And if she hadn't seen the king for 30 days, they didn't have a very tight relationship. But Haman was the king's right-hand man. So Haman spent time with the king every single day. Esther spent no time with him for 30 days. So Esther knows she has to step in and reestablish the relationship. And in order to do that, she has to walk in wisdom, not go psycho, not go crazy. Right here, she's walking in wisdom. And that is our call as followers of Jesus Christ. When we can't figure things out, when we're in the middle of a stressful situation, when things are, are difficult, one of the things that we have to do is stop and ask God for wisdom and walk in wisdom. Rather than running in reaction, rather than just running in, Not thinking through the whole thing and screwing the whole thing up and and just adding more pieces or tearing up what's already been put together. We walk in wisdom. We don't run in reaction. We walk in wisdom. Now, there's a part of the story I left out last week, and I'm going to get to that in a second. I left out on purpose last week. But first, watch this. Haman was a happy man because he had been drinking with the king and the queen. And the Bible says that wine makes the heart glad. I've just heard. I don't know. Somebody told me. John Sampson told me. Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. Have you ever saw somebody? And when you see that person, as soon as you see them, you get furious. You don't have to lie. You can tell the truth, right? You don't have to be like, no, I've never done that. You don't have to say that because you're in church. We've all happened that, right? Don't point to people. Stop. Knock that off. Don't do that. It happens, right? It happened to me. Like, honest to God, it happened to me right here last night. Like, I just saw, it was just like furious, just, just rage. That happens to us. Watch this. Verse 10. However, he restrained himself. That's good. Right? That's, that's what we need to do. That's kind of wisdom. Kind of walking away. Kind of not reacting in the moment. So he restrained himself and went home. Then Haman gathered together his friends and Zeresh his wife and boasted. Everybody say boasted. Boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. He bragged. Say bragged. So boasted and bragged. He bragged about all the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. Then Haman added, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me, only me, only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us. And she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. In other words, Haman's like, I'm the man. Probably had a t-shirt that said, I am awesome. Probably had a bumper sticker on his camel that said, I am awesome. 
He probably owned IamAwesome.com. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's what he was saying. He's bragging about himself. It's all about him. Hey, look at me. Look at all the things that I have. I am incredibly awesome. But then this happens. Verse 13. Then he added, but this is all worth nothing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. what are you talking about? It's all worth nothing. Everything you just bragged about, everything you just boasted in, your money, your house, your kids, your family, your health, it's all worth nothing. It's all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting there in the palace gate. There's something in, in, in Haman's life. The, these pieces for Haman, they ain't coming together. They're, they're continuing to fall apart. They're being thrown all over the place. I would call this extreme bitterness. Have you ever been bitter? Yes, right? All of us at some point in our lives have been bitter. We, we get bitter at people. We get bitter when we see people. When we hear about people, we get bitter. But here's something I want everybody to understand. And we're going to see this in Haman's life. I want you to, I want you to see this. Bitterness will almost always hinder our walk with God. Bitterness will almost always hinder our walk with God. Now, I want to I pause, and I want to say this because I want to be really sensitive. There are people in this room. There are people watching online. You have legitimately been hurt by another person. You were legitimately hurt by a situation that was beyond your control. I get that. We're bitter at people. We're bitter um, at situations. Some of us, if we're honest, we're bitter at God. I'm not saying don't be bitter. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be easy if you were bitter and somebody just came up and went, just don't be so bitter. Just knock it off. Oh my gosh. That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard in the history of the world. You're, you're awesome. Let me put a crown on your head and call you savior. I, I would love for that to settle everything. But the thing I've discovered personally and in the lives of other people is bitterness will almost always hinder our walk with God. So you can hold on to bitterness. You can. You can hold on to bitterness, but it's going to hold you back from taking your next step. When you hold on to bitterness, you push the pause button of God taking the pieces of your life and putting them back together. That's what ha- this is what happens to me every single time. Every single time I become bitter. Watch how bitterness manifests itself here in this story. So Haman's wife, Zeris, and all his friends suggested, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. I'm like, is that necessary? 75 feet, like 75 feet tall, like, I mean, 10 feet, 8 feet, you know, 15, 30 feet, like that's 75 feet, 75 feet tall. And in the morning, ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. This pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole to be set up. In other words, he's like, sweet, I'm going to kill Mordecai on a 75 foot pole. But there's something going on. God is working behind the scenes. He's putting the pieces back together, piece by piece. Now, I said I said that there was a part of the story I didn't share with you last week, and, and this is where I'm going to put it in right here. It happens all the way back in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 21 says this. One day, as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Thana, which, by the way, right here, this one, if you're looking for a baby name, please. Like, doesn't it just sound awesome? What's your name? Big Thana. Cool. I'll leave you alone. Big Thana and Theresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai had heard the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. Ow. This was all recorded. Don't miss this. 
This is all recorded in the book of history of King Xerxes' reign. Mordecai doesn't get a reward or cash or get to drive around the king's car or anything like that. Nothing happened. It's just kind of like this story was mentioned and then it moved on. But remember, Esther is the story of a life that has fallen completely apart. God being completely in control. Fractured people, flawless God. Everything on the surface looks out of control, but behind the scenes, God is in control. Putting, putting the whole thing back together, piece by piece. And so, Fast forward to Esther chapter 6, verse 1. That night, that night meeting, the night Haman was going to come and ask the king to kill Mordecai on the sharpened pole the next morning. That night, the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him, which is fascinating to me. Dude had a book about him read to him. I can't sleep. Go get that book about me and read it to me. Like, dude's way way self-centered. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Big Thana and Thresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward, look at this. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? So Mordecai did something good here and he didn't get rewarded. Have you ever done something good for somebody and you felt like you never got any type of recognition ever? That ever happened? Do you know what? That stuff really does come all back around. I know some of you are thinking, are you talking about karma? No, I'm talking about you reap what you sow. Galatians chapter 6. That's Bible. Read it. Anyway, nothing has been done for him. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. Watch what God does. Watch how awesome God is working behind the scenes. This is, this is great. Who is that in the outer court, the king inquired. As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. So he's getting ready to ask the king, will you impale Mordecai? And the king had just asked, what has ever been done to reward Mordecai? This is great. Verse 5. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is in the outer court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in and the king said, what should I do? To honor a man who truly pleases me. Haman thought to himself, who would the king wish to honor more than me? I'm the man. I'm his right hand. I do everything. The king wants to honor somebody? And there's going to be a banquet tomorrow? This is what Esther wants. They want to honor me. That's what happens when you get bitter and when you get angry. You can't see bitterness and anger in yourself. And you begin to think you're awesome and other people aren't because of what you've gone through and what you've done. You you look down on everybody else. And so he's like, who's the king going to honor more than me? And the king wants to know how do you honor somebody? Oh, I'm going to let him know. I'm going to show him how you honor somebody. So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes, verse 9, let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the, to one of the king's most noble officials, and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robe, and led through the city square on the king's horse. How the officials shout as they go, this is what the king does. For someone he honors. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes of my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai, the Jew. You ever had an oh crap moment? This is Mordecai's oh crap moment. Hollywood could not have scripted this anybody. This is amazing. This is reality television at its best. L- listen, don't, don't miss this. Here's the point of this. We either choose to walk into hum- in humility or God will humble us. Like, like, like that's this, one or the other. We can walk in humility, which is tricky because you can't tell other people that you're humble or you're not walking in humility. 
You can walk in humility or God will humble you. Because this is what happens. This is great. Like, like he, he's, Haman's getting humbled by God right here. So Haman took the robes, put them on Mordecai. Think he's excited about this, yes or no? No. Placed him on the king's own horse and led him through the city square, shouting. This is what the king does somebody wishes honor. That's probably how he said it, right? I mean, he's upset. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Haman hurried home dejected and completely humiliated. Duh. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, Since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. In other words, give up the stupid fight. Just knock it off. Just leave it alone. Let's just, just focus on something else. But while they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. Now, now don't miss this. I, I read you all that story. I could have summarized it, but I wanted to read it so you can understand one point. We cannot worry if we really believe God is working. We cannot worry if we really believe that God is working. The whole time Haman is trying to kill Mordecai, God is going to use Haman to lift up Mordecai. At the end of the day, we cannot worry. There is no record, there is no indication at any point in this story that Mordecai was overcome by worry. And if we truly believe, if we're going to be the type of people who say that God is always at work, that God is in control, even when things seem out of control, God is in control, then we've got to live. Like we believe that God is always at work and God is in control even when things seem out of control. Because when we worry, we're showing that we're practical atheists. In other words, we're Christians in name, but when we worry, it's because we don't believe that God is actually taking these pieces and he's putting them back together in his time, not ours. Well, this story gets crazier Chapter 7, verse 1. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet on the second occasion while they were drinking wine. Once again, it's a common theme here. The king said to Esther, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, now now watch, this is verse 3. Watch how brilliant her answer is. Once again, this is wisdom. This is what we should be asking God for on a consistent basis. God, give me wisdom on how to raise this kid. God, give me wisdom on how to be a better person. God, give me wisdom on how to be a better spouse. God, give me wisdom on how to be a better friend. God, give me wisdom on how to be better at my job. God, give me wisdom. Watch this. If I have found favor with the king, she's playing into his emotions here. And if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask my life and the lives of my people be spared. I want to pause. I truly believe one of the reasons we're reading a story about Esther is because Esther wasn't asking the king for just her own life. Esther was about her life and the lives of others. That's when we know, that's what I believe, that's when we know we have a heart for God. When we have a heart for God and we actually have a heart for others. We know we have a heart for God when we have a heart for others. Esther could have easily saved her own skin here, but she put her life on the line because she loved other people. That's what followers of Jesus do. We put our lives on the line when we love other people. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, and he laid on his life for his friends. That's, that's Jesus. And that's what we see happening right here. So she said, for the lives of my people, verse 4, for my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? 
So the king obviously remembered, oh, I really like this Esther girl. Like, I, I mean, she's amazing. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Like, who's behind all this? Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary. You notice what she does right here? King, it's not just about me. It's our adversary, king. It's, it's you and me because if I die... This affects you. And she, once again, using wisdom, kind of pulling the king into this. This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. That, that's all she said. And once she got there, she got to the banquet. King and Haman are sitting in front of her. She didn't have to cry. She didn't have to scream. She didn't have to throw a fit. All she had to do, walk in in faith, walk in wisdom, and choose not to worry because she knew God was working. And, and when the time came, she said less than 10 words, and the problem was taken care of. Watch this. Haman Grew, grew pale with fright before the king. I bet he did. <laughs> then the king jumped into his feet in a rage and went into the palace garden. So you got the king ticked off. Haman is freaking out. Esther's sitting there, just most chill person in the world. Watch what happens. However, Haman stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining. You can just see this all falling apart for him, right? Fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining, just as the king was returning from the palace gardens. The king exclaimed, will he not even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, singling his doom. This is like one of those scenes from a movie where somebody's getting kidnapped and they just put the black bag over their head and take him out and you know it's over. It's over for Haman. Now, now watch what, watch what God does. L- listen, watch how God will fight your battles. If you will simply choose, and I will simply choose, in a time where it's desperate, and, and, and listen, this weekend I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody listening to this. If we will simply choose to follow and worship and not worry, God will fight our battles. God will fight our battles. And, and listen, he's a way better fighter than we are because watch what happens, watch this. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended it to use, uh, he intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai and the king's anger subsided. God will fight your battles. God will fight your battles. I want to say this as we close. Maybe you're in a season right now where you feel abandoned by God. Maybe you feel forgotten by other people. Like there was a time where life felt together, life felt pretty decent, but then everything fell apart on you. I I want you to know, today I want you to hear this. God is taking your pieces and he is putting them back together. God is picking up your pieces and he's putting them back together in his way, in his time. Not ours and his, but God is picking up your pieces and God will put your pieces back together. You say, Ryan, you don't know what I've done. All right, fine. Esther was a sex slave and God put her life back into place. You you think she dealt with shame? You think she dealt with guilt? You think she dealt with embarrassment? Absolutely. But today we're talking about her as a hero. God can take your pain and turn it into something amazing in his time. So the walking away thought today is this. Even though there are so many pieces, God will always fulfill his promises. Even though there are so many pieces, God will put them back together because God always fulfills his promises. I want you to understand, 
I know what it's like to have everything fall apart on you, but I also know what it's like to watch God pick up the pieces and put them back into place. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for who you are, and I want to thank you for what you've done and what you're doing in our lives. God, I want to pray for every single person who feels like their life is in pieces. God, maybe they're in the middle of a messy situation. Maybe it's a breakup. Maybe it's a divorce, a situation with a kid, a situation with their job. Just something that they feel like everything has fallen apart. Maybe they're dealing with loneliness, guilt, and shame. God, I pray that you would remind us today that you're calling us out of that. Calling us out of the brokenness and into the whole. Because you love us unconditionally and your grace is absolutely amazing. And it's for all of us, not just for some of us. And so, God, I I pray that we would feel you putting the pieces back together in our lives. Craig is going to sing a song. And during the song, if you need somebody to pray with you or for you, maybe you're, you're fighting a battle that you just feel like you can't do by yourself, um, we'd invite you to, to walk out the back doors. There'll be people from our prayer team who will meet you and pray with you there or take you up to our prayer room and just talk you through what, what you're going through. You don't have to do life alone. You don't have to fight alone. And today, you can know the battle belongs to God. Just give it to him. Just give it to him. Don't try to fight it on your own. Don't try to fight it by yourself. Let God fight your battles. God, I pray over these next several moments that you will move amongst the hearts of your people in ways only you can through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain moves. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. And if you are for me, who can be against me? For Jesus is nothing impossible When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. When all I see is a cross, God, you see the empty tomb. So when I fight, I'll fight on my 
knees with my hands lifted high oh god the battle belongs to you and every fear i lay at your feet i'll sing through the night oh god the battle belongs to you in almighty fortress you go before us nothing can stand against the power of our god you shine in the shadows you win every battle nothing can stand against the power of our god so when i fight i'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high oh god the battle belongs to you and every fear i lay at your feet i'll sing through the night oh god the battle belongs to you oh god the battle belongs to you 